Welcome to the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogelup. The state legislature began its 2020 session this week with one of the largest Democratic majorities in history. We'll get to some of the legislation they've already passed, plus take a look at the first ever woman to serve as Speaker of the State House of Representatives. But first, joining us now is Como's Matt Markovich, who covers City Hall for us, and this idea of a head tax, or in some cases a big business tax, uh, still at the forefront here in Seattle, but uh, something similar has been uh, implemented in San Francisco, including uh, bringing in the business community on this as well, and, and that doesn't seem like... Something that might really happen here, but uh, what happened down in San Francisco? Well, it's a difference because, I was, as you know, Councilmember Sawan is proposing a tax on Amazon, calling it Amazon tax, whether it's a head tax, where it's an employee hours tax, or something different. We don't know that yet. But in San Francisco in November of 2018, the city voters did pass what's known as Proposition C, which was a tax on big business. The difference being, just as we just talk about the tax, the difference being it, it wasn't a head tax. Tax. Here in Seattle in 2018, uh, we the Seattle proposed a $275 per person per year tax on businesses making $20 million or more. And so the was, more people you had on staff, the more you had to pay the city. That's right. So it's based on not so much on how much the company made, but how many people you had on your company payroll if you made $20 million or more in, in gross revenues. Seattle, uh, San Francisco... Um, and they felt like that was maybe 50 businesses maybe in the downtown area. San Francisco didn't do that. They decided to put a half percent tax on the gross tax receipts of companies making $50 million or more. And that turned out to be about roughly 400 companies. And it's not based on a head tax. It's a, it's on the gross receipts, basically how mm. much revenue you pull in. You make more money, you're going to pay more tax. Yeah. Well, and let's also keep in mind, San Francisco is also a much larger city, much larger area. Well, no, 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 it's not. It's, you, you, so the, oh, well, I guess if we're comparing city proper city. to city proper. City. Okay, yeah, not the cities overall. are almost the same size. Okay. Now, the region is different, is bigger, but the city of San Francisco is roughly 700,000 people. And that's roughly what Seattle is. It's a little bit bigger than Seattle. So the size of the city is the same. Now, there's a higher concentration of companies there in San Francisco than Seattle. um, And more, I would say, more wealthier companies. Uh, But the difference also is that down in San Francisco, when they had this tech proposed, they had a plan. And that's what, when we went down there and visited to people with people and talked to the county supervisors and heard from uh, business people... The difference between Seattle and San Francisco is that Seattle, and you could still argue that San Francisco didn't have a plan, but many said San Francisco had a plan. They were going to raise $300 million on this tax. They had it all penciled out. They knew how much the gross receipts were for the 400 companies, the largest companies in in San Francisco. $300 million, they estimated, half would go to permanent housing. 25% would go to drug abuse and mental health health treatment. And the remainder would go to shelters and homeless services. So everything's already appropriated it's before it's passed. And actually, the housing, that the 50% of the housing, was actually housing that was in the pipeline that the city had already planned but had no money for. So it was already laid out. The roadmap was there. And talking to Matt Haney, the a county supervisor who represents the Tenderloin, which is the district in, Seattle, in San Francisco that has the highest concentration of homelessness, you know, he, that's, and in his district is Airbnb, uh, Uber, 
uh, Salesforce is right on the edge of it. Salesforce is the largest private employer in, in San Francisco. Who is the biggest supporter of this tax uh, in terms of businesses? Salesforce. That's our Amazon in terms of Seattle. Salesforce is their Amazon. It's the largest private employer in downtown uh, San Francisco. And its CEO personally gave $5 million in support of the campaign for this what's known as Proposition C. So what, what's the, the difference here? What's the disconnect between Seattle and San Francisco with the business community? Because it seems, as the way you describe it, San Francisco's business community was on board with an idea like well, this. Well, not all the business. The Chamber of Commerce was against this. Uh, the mayor was against it. Uh, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, which is huge down there, was against it. So there was it wasn't all one way, all business supported, but you had major players that supported it. And I think the difference being just in what I'm hearing and what I what happened here, and this is a reflection. You can say this is my reflection on going to the two cities, is that San Francisco had much more of a plan on what it was, how it was going to spend the money than Seattle did. And the Seattle's consideration or criticism back in, um, in 2018 in May when it passed and was repealed <laughs> and the whole fiasco <laughs> was that Seattle had, oh, yeah, we're going to make this money go to affordable housing. Uh, but it, it, uh, there was no real roadmap like San Francisco had it. They had already said, here's the projects that it's going to go toward. We've already mapped out the road. Uh, we just needed the money. And San Fran- and Seattle, we didn't have that. And there was this inherent distrust by Seattle of Seattle leaders that they weren't being good stewards of the taxpayers' money. And, and that's kind of a criticism you see from conservatives and Republicans quite a bit, whether it's Seattle or elsewhere, is that oftentimes liberal entities like the city council here in Seattle will just simply throw money at a problem without accountability or without a plan that seemed to be, as I recall, two years ago, uh, a big criticism of the city council's head tax plan. Is it, and you're saying that there really wasn't that down in San Francisco? There, there wasn't because again, they had more of a plan. If we're ap- comparing apples and apples in a way, they had more of a plan than what Seattle had, and they were able to sell that plan to the big tech companies. And the tech companies down there, and Matt Haney, who supported this uh, plan who dealt with Uber and who dealt with Airbnb and talked to Twitter and Salesforce, said the companies just wanted to have some assurance that they weren't going to be nickel and dime with taxes for years to come. This is a tax that's in place, and this is where it's going to go, and this is how it's going to be spent. And they had some certainty in that. Uh, in Seattle's tax, there was a sunset. Uh, there was a, a, a period where we would collect this tax and then maybe we'd do it again, or maybe we would drop it. San Francisco doesn't have a sunset clause on its tax. So there was more certainty in San Francisco than in Seattle. Uh, the intention was the same. Both wanted to do exactly how to spend the money, but again, San Francisco got a roadmap and Seattle supposedly did not. Uh, the difference between the two councils is more of a geographic thing. In San Francisco, there are 11 districts, and each district, it's a city and a county in the same down there. So the county council is the city council in a way. The, the 11 districts, the 11 supervisors, are geographically representing their area. Here we have nine council members, seven of which represent de- geographical areas, two are at large. So there's a difference right there. Um, in terms of grandiose ideas, I think San Francisco is just like Seattle. They have grandiose ideas, and they try and 
put those forward and the mayor has one plan and there's disagreements. Uh, so it's not all hunky-dory down there. I mean, uh, it, it, they're still having problems. And that's what I was going to bring up. You know, now that the their, their particular tax, this uh, Proposition C that passed by a 60-40 split, is now tied in the courts because of that split. Uh, the It's been taken to court and could remain in court for years. Um, and the taxes right now is being collected. It's being put away and stored away for a rainy day in a way. On, on Sounds like what we're doing with 976. Yeah, well, that's exactly what's happening. It's being stored. Uh, the issue down there is that the opponents who did not like the tax are taking it to court because they're saying that a tax like this needed a two-thirds majority vote of voters. And disagreements now is that it, it only needed a simple majority, 50% plus one, and it got that. It got basically 60-40 split in favor. So the fact that it's passed, they're collecting the money, uh, the companies are paying into it, uh, is that they can't really spend it. <laughs> and that's a lesson also to be learned in Seattle, I think, is that Seattle could have this. You know there's going to be opponents to anything. They could possibly take it to court for X, Y, Z reason, and it could be tied in in courts. And again, that money can't be spent. And so right now, um, that's the problem with San Francisco. They had plans for that money to be spent. The housing is waiting to be built. And it's not happening. Well, and here in Seattle, what's the city council working on? Because we know Shama Sawant, you know, after she was reelected in in what seemed to be an upset based on some of the polling we saw towards the uh, end of the campaign last year, uh, was all gung-ho with bringing back the head tax. And and there was some discussion of that this week. Well, that's primarily from council member Sawant. She's been up front about that, need to, as her phrase is, strike, uh, strike the iron while it's hot. Uh, let's get this Amazon tax. Let's let's take the inertia that we've got from the November elections and pass this thing. So she is formulating that with her staff, what it would look like. It may not be an employee's hours tax. It could be like San Francisco tax. Um, And on January 25th, she's going to have a confab, a conference of supporters of this tax to kind of hammer out what it should look like, kind of more of an open discussion about it. And then she full-on plans on going two fronts here, uh, trying to push it through the city council as, 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 as a sponsor. But if that doesn't work, she's telling her supporters, we're going to draft it as an initiative and put it in front of Seattle voters, just like San Francisco did. So there's two paths to it this time, whereas there was only one last time through the city council and through the mayor. And the mayor has also indicated in a response to the, um, the tax proposal uh, that she would favor a progressive tax paying for uh, mental health services, homeless services. So she's in favor of a progressive tax, as it's called. In what form? We don't know. What and, exactly does a progressive uh, tax mean to the mayor? What does I, it mean I, to Sawan? I mean, and that, that's the that's the only indicators we have right now uh, publicly. Has, has there been any pushback from any of the other new members of the city council? Um. I think uh, I think Alex Peterson, who I should say was the only pro-business candidate that was on the pro-business slave candidates that did get elected, came out against the head tax. Um, I don't recall. I'm assuming that the other ones were in favor of it, 
but I can't say that for sure right now. But there hasn't been any real no, discussion or pushback no, within the council they're yet. They're just getting their feet wet. They're just trying to figure out what committee they're on, what my office looks like, you know, where <laughs> should I put my trophies, that kind of a thing. That's, they're at that point right now. All right, Como's Matt Markovich, thank you as always. You're welcome. We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll take a look at the state legislature and its first week in action during the 2020 session. That's coming up when the Como Politicast continues after this. Everything you missed while at work, update and unwind on the way home. The Como Afternoon News on the Northwest's only all-news station. Como News 1000, FM 97.7, and ComoNews.com. Welcome back to the Como Politicast. I'm Jeff Pogela. History is being made at the state capitol with the selection of the first female and openly lesbian Speaker of the House of Representatives. Como's Keith Eldridge was there as Representative Lori Jenkins was selected without opposition. Now, today it was a uh, standing ovation as Representative Lori Jenkins uh, came and was introduced in the State House floor. She's a lawyer by trade and represents the 27th District in Tacoma. But now, by a vote of the entire body, she represents the whole state as House Speaker. Now, many members wearing white in honor of the 100th anniversary of the suffrage movement for a woman's right to vote. A century later, we are still dismantling barriers. Many people have asked me what it's like to be the first woman speaker and the first out lesbian speaker. Well, I guess I'm about to find out. <laughs> Another barrier is broken today, but it won't be the last. The Democrats have a substantial 57 to 41 majority, but she said she traveled the state to meet with members of both parties to see how they can come up with combined solutions to problems such as homelessness. She takes over from Representative Frank Chop, who served as Speaker of the House for 20 years before deciding to step down from that role. And that's Como's Keith Eldridge reporting. Now, you heard him mention in that report that there is a significant majority for the Democrats in the State House of Representatives. And it's not just in the House. In both chambers of the state legislature, Democrats have some of their biggest majorities in history. So that means they can really do pretty much what they want. So what have they been working on in the first week? Well, well, here's one piece of legislation. Our state just got one step closer to sacking plastic bags. And that means no single-use plastic bags for retailers or restaurants statewide. And unless shoppers carry their own bags, it'll cost them. Como's Michelle Esteban has the action that lawmakers have already taken. The state Senate did indeed pass that ban. Still has to go to the House, but this is interesting. Short session, so this bubble to the surface, it's that important to lawmakers. And the vote, pretty significant as well. It passed 30 to 19. On top of that, there was a survey released. 900 people in our state surveyed found 69% approved the ban. Now that's organized by supporters, but this also makes supporters who want to sack these single-use plastic bags confident that 2020 is the year Washington will join a handful of other states who already banned the bag statewide. Now, why? It's all about the environment, protecting our lands and oceans from plastic pollution. If shoppers don't bring their own bags, though, they're going to have to pay for one, and that fee will be set at eight cents a bag. Sponsors of the ban say support is growing from grocers to the hospitality industry and the plastic industry, but there is significant pushback from the paper and pulp industry, which thinks, hey, it's not fair to charge customers to buy their bags. Why can't these bags be for free? Because it would be a significant financial impact on our independent family-owned 
grocers. They pay a lot more for those bags than the big uh, national chains do. Single-use bags cost two cents each. The alternative bags, paper and durable plastic bags, cost anywhere from ten and a half cents to twelve and a half cents. It's far from a done deal. We'll have to wait and see how lawmakers are going to vote on this. I should tell you this: they nixed a similar proposal last year. That's Como's Michelle Esteban reporting. And that will do it for this episode of the Como Politicast. If you like the show, please leave a rating and a review. It helps with our rankings and helps other people discover the program. And be sure to check out some of our other podcasts from Como News, including our hourly news updates, Life Beat with Como's Marina Rockinger. And for all things Washington Huskies, subscribe to the Thursday Night Doghouse with Bill Swartz, available during basketball season on Wednesday nights. All of them are available from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, or even just go to comonews.com slash podcasts. I'm Jeff Pogela. Thank you for listening, and have a good week.